to these things. And so this morning, we're going to tackle the same question, stated in a little different way. Not necessarily going to make the case for youth group, but our big idea, the question that we want to tackle is, why do we gather? Why do we drag ourselves out of bed every Sunday morning, 52 times a year, and make this trip to 898 Harper Road? When there are 10,000 reasons to do something else, why do we gather in this place with these people? Why do we make this commitment? Well, I want to show you from the authority, God's word, and expose maybe some wrong thinking, some habits, and maybe motivate some of us to reorient our priorities. Because you see, for years, people thought that the earth was the center of the universe, didn't they? Maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe some of you are, lived long enough and in, in, were in that, those, that time period. I don't know. I'm, I'm treading on dangerous ground there. But they were unable to feel the earth moving beneath their feet. They watched the stars, the sun, and moon move around them. And so it just seemed logical in those days that, well, we here on planet earth, we must be at the center. Till closer examination of the truth and advances in science, the inhabitants of earth, they figured out that that was wrong. It was discovered that the earth was not at the center of the universe, but in fact the sun was. And that changed everything. You know, the same might be said about our commitments in life, how we prioritize, what we are devoted to, what we make intentional efforts towards, how we spend our time, our money, what books we read, blogs we follow, what political person we listen to. You know, and at the center of our lives, sometimes our kids, grandkids, our job, our spurs, our Aggies, the school our kids attend. Maybe it's fashion, Kendra Scott, pets, horses, airplanes, friends, restaurants, cooking shows, vacations, you name it. What's at the center of your life? And as you think about that, what your life revolves around, you need to ask the question, should it be what your life revolves around? Do you even realize what controls and orients your life? This morning we examine what God's word has to say, and we're going to see that the very thing at the center of this is the church gathered. The thing that reveals the very manifold wisdom of God. Which the, so does, does this church gather, does it remain fixed at the center of your life? Does all else in your weekly schedule revolve around this day? This portion of scripture in Acts 2 that I read for you a minute ago is a, really a portrait or a snapshot of the first church. So we're going to look at this in a minute. This is really the headwaters to a beautiful stream as we think about the history of the church. What was read for you earlier is a distinct day in salvation history. This is is the birthday of the church. It was really a separating of Israel and the church and God's sovereign worldwide historic redemption plan. Pentecost, this day that we read about, was for the Jews a celebration once upon a time of the giving of the law. But now for Christians, we celebrate Pentecost as the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. 
And so I, I didn't read it for you, but I just want to kind of give you an overview of Acts 2 so you can see where we, uh, where we land here when I picked it up at verse 37. Ultimately, in, in Acts 2, what happens first is the Holy Spirit comes, just as Jesus promised back in John 14, John 16, other places. It attracts a big crowd of Jewish foreigners from several different nations, a fragmented group, a bunch of people come from all over the world, are gathered here, and this attracts them. And then Peter preaches really the first Christ-centered gospel sermon in history. And he includes the the Old Testament, and he includes Jesus' works and resurrections, all this authority. And he concludes then in verse 36, ultimately with a, Therefore, Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, or he's the Lord and our Savior. We know then that the elect are pierced to the heart by the word, and they repent before being baptized in Jesus' name. And so in verse 47 or 42 i should say then finally we come to these three thousand fragmented disciples who are devoted to a way of life sure they were introduced to christ on an epic day in a monumental way but the course of their life from there on out was really lived out the course of their their godly life their christ following life was in the midst of ordinary regular even repetitious life and continued verse 43, then as a result of this repetitious life, they, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And they, we, you know, and sometimes I think we immediately attach this awe to the signs and wonders that come in the context there that the uh, apostles were performing. But really there's a larger context. This sense of awe is really characteristic of their whole life. They, they just gathered for this preaching. Now the apostles are doing these things and there's daily unity amongst these believers. They're sharing, they're being hospitable, they're learning daily at the temple. They're, they're immersing themselves in God's word day in and day out. They're eating meals together, they're praising God. That's really what they're doing in this passage. And so how are they feeling? Well, they're feeling awestruck. Excuse me, <clears throat> awestruck. Verse 46 says they have gladness and sincerity. Isn't that what we all want? <laughs> Don't we want to live a life of, with a sense of awe and gladness and sincerity? I mean, who doesn't want a life like that? Yeah, nobody. We all do want a life like that, right? And, and, and in a real sense. And so the result here then of life lived like that is that even more than the initial 3,000 were being saved. Did you catch that? That more were being added to their number day by day. And that's really the best evangelism. When believers are living right, devoted to the Christian life, and inviting outsiders in, people get saved. People want to be a part of that. And so that's really just the context of this chapter here, one of the best in in all of Scripture. But I want us to look, especially now for the remainder of our time, just at verse 42 as we answer this question, why do we gather Why do we gather? Verse 42. And there's two words that really jump off the page at me. This is a a verse I've studied it long. I've taught on it before and things. But there's really two words here that just just scream at me. And that's that's words three and four. Continually devoting. They were continually devoting themselves to these things. And and I, I just say, am I continually devoted to anything? You know, this, this one commentator says this connotes a steadfast and single-minded fidelity. Another says that it's, it stresses an intentional and serious commitment. And this is, this is sold out commitment to a way of life, that they were continually devoted. 
this should be characteristic of our marriages, right? That we should be continually devoted to our spouse. We would never consider another woman. You know, for us in sports, we are continuously devoted to our teams. At least we should be, not bandwagon jumpers, right? I mean, I'm a Packers fan, and I would never dream of rooting for the Bears or any other team, right? Mothers are this way, or should be, at least with their children, right? They should be continually devoted, not neglecting, not rejecting their children, and caring for others, you know, at the expense of their own children, but they are continually devoted. And so this is a term used of these first disciples to this way of life. Interestingly enough, it's also the same word and the same characteristic of the apostles in chapter 1, verse 14, when their commitment, the, the apostles are there gathered in the upper room and they're committing to prayer. They don't know where to go. Jesus has just died. Judas has betrayed them. They're in this upper room. It's dark. They're afraid. And so they commit themselves to prayer. It's also used later of the apostles also in chapter 6, uh, when they say we need to devote ourselves to the prayer and to the word. And so they appoint deacons then to take care of the widows and the needs of the church. The apostles say we need to be committed to prayer again and to the word. Because the opposite of this would be someone who's a traitor, right? Someone who's wishy-washy, someone who's disloyal or uncommitted, someone who's shallow or whimsical, someone without roots. And so we, we have this idea. We know, okay, they were continually devoted but what were they continually devoted to? What were these 3,000 plus some fragmented people committed to? There's really four essentials. Four essentials here, as you've, as you've seen it. Interestingly enough, with all four of them here, NASB doesn't include it for some reason in its translation, but it is there, and you may have caught it if you were listening carefully as I read. But each of these four things in verse 42, the apostles' teaching, and it's also, there's a definite article to the fellowship. It's not just any fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. It's also, prayers is, is plural. NASB makes it singular here. But so there's a definite article, so there's something specific about this. There's something gathered, there's something unique about these things. And so let's break them down here. Let's look at what each of these mean. The first essential here, they gathered together for four essentials. The first, the apostles' teaching. Obviously, the apostles are dead. And so as we look at our life, what would we gather to? You know, we're not gathering to an apostle. And apostles aren't uh, in existence anymore. You know, some maybe claim to be, but these, this is really what we find in the New Testament, right? The apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, you know, and the 12 apostles, their work inspired here included in what we now have is the scripture. So it's sermons like Peter's, right? It's sermons like, like what is in the first part of, of chapter two and the rest of it. This is the apostles' teaching. And so when we gather, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We devote ourselves to the right teaching and preaching of God's word. Not to psychology, not to, to self-help messages, and not even to your own pastor's uh, ideas and whims, but we devote ourselves to the right explanation and application of this book because it is this book that is authoritative. It is this book that all else comes from. It is this book where we get our instruction. It is this book that God inspired. It is this book that God revealed who he is, who man is, and how we are to live in light of who God is. And so this is why expository preaching is necessary and is right, and why you, you need to come for your weekly dose, your weekly meal of God's word. Second essential, then, is to the fellowship We've talked a lot about this over the years. This hopefully isn't a, a foreign concept to you. But we gather 
in order to fellowship, this intentional, sanctifying, encouraging, and exhorting, admonishing type of communion together, where we come purposely, deliberately, where we sacrifice of our, our own needs in order to give to others, thinking of others before us. And so this is something that ultimately only believers can participate in with other believers. You can have relationships with unbelievers, I'm not saying that, but fellowship, this type of fellowship, can only happen amongst believers, coming together, sharing in life. And so what does this negate? This negates the, the hermit life, doesn't it? This negates the, uh, the uh, 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 that I can just get by on listening to John Piper sermons during the week. Those are good and helpful. I'm not saying don't do that. But there's something uh, of, uh, that's missing when you don't get the fellowship. It's not just hanging out with others, others also. It's not even inclusive of just something that's age-specific or, or uh, uh, one-dimensional or one-generational. This is something that is participated in amongst uh, all the generations. Cross-generational worship and fellowship together. Ultimately, what this boils down to is that a commitment to God, a devotion to God, means that we are committed to and devoted to his people as well. That we come week in and week out. And this includes that we fellowship even with those people that irritate us. Even with those people that may, we may not get along with all that well. The third essential, then, as we continue on, they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and third, to the breaking of bread. There's some discrepancy about what does this mean. Is this just a meal, or is this communion, or maybe is it both? I lean towards that he's speaking specifically of communion, or to the Lord's table, because he adds the definite article. And the only other time where we find the breaking of bread is back in Luke 24. You don't need to turn there, but just take note of it. Back in Luke 24, he uses, uh, he puts the definite article, the breaking of bread, and it's definitely in the context of communion, Jesus with his uh, disciples there. And so it most likely is, but really he doesn't specify, so it's, it's maybe unnecessary to choose one over the other, but what we do need to realize is that this isn't just any ordinary meal that we gather together. You might say, well, I break bread with my family every night, and that's great, and you should do that. But there's something about coming together and being continually devoted to the Lord's table, because this unique bond of eating together, of remembering and commemorating the death of Christ, means that I associate and approve this, this message, you know, or what we're communicating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But even on a horizontal level, it means that we are saying, I associate and approve with these brothers and sisters in the Lord who gather here. Would we eat together with an enemy? You know, would we eat together with someone that we didn't really like? Not willingly, would we? And so we, we gather and we do this, this intentional gathering together with our friends, saying, I value their time and their company. Means that we're sharing in God's hospitality and welcoming people and with a sacrificial love. And so we gather together, we devote ourselves to these things. It's why we do communion on the first Sunday of every month. But it's also why we have intentional meals. We have a potluck coming up uh, next Sunday. And we also have our intentional fellowship meals every Wednesday night. Lasagna this week, I'm told. So they devoted themselves to these things week in, week out. The fourth and final essential is the prayers, right? And prayer is really a main theme of Luke's. Luke is uh, 
the only Gentile writer in the New Testament, and he wrote the book of Luke and then the uh, book of Acts as well. It's kind of volume two to Luke's writing. And prayer is a main theme all the way throughout it. Jesus, he commands, uh, he commends rather the righteousness of the tax collector in Luke 18 for his humble prayer. And he, he tells us to pray over and over and has lots of examples of people who are continually devoted to prayer. So what does this include? It includes confessing, includes interceding, includes bearing the burden of others, includes thanksgiving, includes supplication and asking God. But really there's an element here of group praying with one another. The prayers. And so surely Luke here affirms individual spontaneous praying, but the prayers really implies a corporate time together, much like we've done this morning. And I hope that you view that as as myself or Chris or someone else comes up and prays Heath did this morning. But as we come and and as we pray, that this isn't just something that the pastor is up here performing, you know, some sort of uh, mediatorial work between you and God, but you're participating in that with us, agreeing in prayer, adding your own silent prayers to to the mix of whatever we are praying for generically. Hopefully that is stirring specific prayers in your own heart as we gather together and pray these things. But it also involves praying for one another. Maybe someone shared a need with you in the foyer before church or after church. I hope that you've taken time to stop and pray for that person. I hope that you have been intentional with that and and not embarrassed or given an excuse of, well, I may sound silly or I don't like that. I don't don't know what to say. I'm I'm at a loss for words. Well, I'm I'm too busy. I I have to go somewhere. Hopefully we're not too busy to pray and to commune with God. So... We're devoted to these things. You can come and pray on Wednesday nights. Maybe we didn't know this, but on Wednesday nights, we have the meal first, and then we have Romans, and then after Romans, have a time of of question and answer, but then we have a time of group and corporate prayer. And so I hope that if you're committed to that, you want to be a part of those things, that you would come on Wednesday night. Even if you don't want to come for the meal, you don't want to come for Romans, but you really want to pray with God's people, about 7.30, 7.45, we get started with that and pray for 15 minutes or so. And so these are, the, these are the four essentials that they were devoted to. So we think, okay, why do we gather? Well, we gather for these four things. We gather for, to, to partake in these four things. We gather because this is where, in the midst of these things, is where we feel a sense of awe, where we have gladness of heart and sincerity of heart. It's where these things, where there's, you know, horizontally, there's this mutual benefit that I don't come to church, you know, just selfishly or as a consumer, but I come to give and to serve in each of these ways. But there is also a a personal benefit that I come to engage in these things in order to uh, grow in holiness, in order to progress in sanctification, you know, that we might together be conformed to Christ as believers, But vertically, and maybe this is most important, is we do this for God's glory. He's called us to himself. Do you realize that, beloved, that this is the gospel, that he has called us to himself, that he he has picked us out of our sin. He has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. That's the gospel. If you don't know that, if you still remain in the domain of darkness, 
And today could be the day of your salvation. And when you put your faith in Christ, you repent of your sin, believe on Christ, you're not just then saved into your way of life, but you're saved out of something and into a way of life. You leave your old way of life, your old patterns, your old way of thinking behind by the help of the Holy Spirit, and you are saved into a new way of life, new priorities, new devotions, a new CEO over your life. Jesus, and you're saved into something. Your life after Christ should not mirror the life before Christ. It should be drastically different. And yes, it's a progression. Yes, many things happen immediately, and other things take time. But when we're saved into this new way of life, it's all for God's glory. That's why we come. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. We gather because he's called us to this. And so thus we commit ourselves to him in this way, all for his glory. It's a sold-out commitment. You know, we don't, we don't come here for our own, I mean, there is an aspect where we come for our own benefit, but that what trumps that is that we're here because he's called us into his family. And it would be like if you were called into the military. You don't go there because you get the uniform and the rank and the respect that comes with that. Maybe, you know, that's, that's a perk. But when you do it, you commit. You're called into boot camp. You're called into the drills, right? You're called into the potential combat, the food and the rations that come with being a soldier. You come with the guys who are in your squad, your platoon or your company. And you commit yourself to this, this, the glory of a greater cause. And so we come because this is what God has left behind. This is what Jesus has promised to build. And so we gather together in this way. I want to just briefly point out now two things that aren't on the list. Did you notice here what's not on the list is musical worship? I'm not saying that it's unimportant. I'm not saying that the uh, rest of Scripture doesn't talk to these things, but they weren't continuously devoted to that an important part of our worship, but just interesting that it wasn't an essential thing at at the birth of the church. Also notice that there's not, you know, specific ministries or programs for youth, children, adults, you know, teens, singles, family, whatever, you name it. There's not those specific things. Here there's a fragmented, uh, large group of people that have gathered together to do these things in the context of their church and their home as it's being built and their scattering and the gospel's progressing. And so as we wrap up here, I think we got the essentials. I think, okay, Blair, we know this. It's pretty easy. I can read this here. But I just want to ask a few questions and give some practical ways. How do we give the church first place in our life and make it not just another club on the list? Because I'm willing to bet that many of us in here, maybe not all of us, but many of us in here are involved in many different things in our life. And that's good. We, we need to work. I'm not saying we shouldn't work or do all those things. We, we do need to work. We do need to provide for our families. We do need to be a responsible citizen. But maybe all, others of us are just involved in different recreational things, different clubs, different sports, athletics, you know, whatever. So how do we reorient our priorities? How do we refocus our commitments? What things need to be dropped or cut off that are crowding out the church? How can we be sure that our spiritual life trumps all other things, all social, athletic, recreational pursuits? Well, let me offer just a few practical ways in light of each of these four essentials. The first is that we need to prioritize the Lord's day, don't we? We need to prioritize this day. And we need to, really, it's not my day to do blank. 
And sometimes I hear that, and sometimes I'm, I, I can even be tempted to think these things. But, but Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not my day to do blank. Well, I've worked six weeks, I've done, or six days this week. I've, I've had really busy time, and so I just need this time to myself, or I need th- this day to get these things done. And ultimately, you're killing yourself that way. You're killing yourself if you come to the Lord's day and think that. You're starving your soul. Your soul needs nourishment, especially if you've had a busy six days of the week. What more do you, what, what could be better for you than to come to gather with the body of believers for these four things to, to, to give you the nourishment that you need to get on another day? And, and I want to just say this. I'm not burdening or demanding you with the law. I've only, I hope you hear this, that I'm just pleading with you as your pastor to prioritize what's going to bring you life and joy and peace and health and to avoid what's going to kill you. What's going to kill you slowly but surely. And so just hear your soul doctor here. Hear your soul doctor prescribing a plan for spiritual health. Not, not enslaving you to rules and regimented pills and take this for 10 days and all that. Not. You get to enjoy these things. These essentials have been given to us by the grace of God for us to enjoy and to give us life and health. To avoid them would be to avoid the, the doctor's prescription. So I just, I just want to point out some things. There's, I gave you some stats here, but as we think about this here, every year you have 8,760 hours. Yeah, you have... Uh, 2016 is coming up in just a few short months. You have 8,760 hours, Lord willing, to live in 2016. It's easy math. It's just 24 times 365, okay? (laughs) How many Sundays are in a year? 52, right? 52 Sundays. And we come and we gather together, uh, emphasizing these four things. And we gather 52 times a year for an hour and a half. So if you multiply an hour and a half times 52, that's 78 hours that you're committing to being here. If you only come to the church worship service, if you just come on this day, that's less than 1% of our time, the time that you will have in a given year to do what is most important for you to do. That's hardly demanding, right? That's hardly a, 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 a burden upon us to commit to to, to prioritizing the Lord's day. And that's, that's really, especially when we compare it to the demands of sports or committees or boards, they demand much more and suck much more life out of us. As we drive from practice to practice, and meeting after meeting, and, and engagement after engagement, those things are demanding. And here's the thing, anything that demands more time than your devotion to God is idolatry. Anything that demands more time than your devotion to God is idolatry. I'm not saying you can't be involved in anything else. Don't hear me saying that. Don't hear me, don't, don't hear me uh, uh, saying you can't be involved in, in any sport or thing. That's not what I'm saying. Don't miss the point. I just want you to help you discern things that actually probably mirror more of the law than gospel living. Do you realize that? Sometimes I think we, we maybe miss the point, especially when we're in it, especially when the culture is saying, you need to do this, you need to put your kids in this, you need to be involved in this. Oh, you're in this stage of life. You should be involved here. And ultimately, it's, it, if, if you take a step back and look at the requirements and looking at the demands of what this, this particular club or organization is asking you, 
It actually mirrors more of living under the law than living under the gospel. Think about it. Think, think about like youth sports, the requirements. You make multiple weekly sacrifices, right? The law, you make multiple weekly, monthly, yearly, annual sacrifices to go to. There's practice, there's financial burdens, there's time burdens. And what does it do? At the end, it promises a life and it promises salvation and a championship, right? If you, if you devote yourself to these things and you meet all the demands, all the requirements, then at the end, maybe you will win a championship. Maybe you will receive life. And there comes, there's punishment, there's retribution if you miss some of the demands, if you miss the mark, right? What does that sound like just as we think about it? It sounds like the law. It sounds like the demands of the law that we're trying to earn our salvation, we're trying to earn our righteousness, that if we just do X, Y, and Z, then God is going to notice me. And that's not gospel living. That, that mirrors more of the law. Doesn't that just, just scream out to you? And yet so many people lap that kind of stuff up. They want to be a part of it. They hear that and they are hoping for salvation and a scholarship or salvation and the recognition or salvation and whatever it's going to bring. I just want to warn you, I'm not saying don't put your kids in sports. I'm not saying all that stuff. I'm just saying use discernment as to what you get involved in, as to what you continually devote yourself to. Is it mere more of what is the world is continually devoting to, trying to find a, a, a salvation in? Or is it in the salvation that God brings? So just be very cautious. Parents, what you devote your kids to. Husbands, what you devote yourself to in time away from your family. Wives as well. Mothers, fathers. Just be cautious. And so back to the main point. It's not a soapbox. It's just something I want to point out for you. Back to the main point is really we need to prioritize the Lord's day. When these four things happen, be deliberate about what you will do on this day. Plan ahead. Don't do certain things on other days of the week so you can be at your best this day. Because you don't want to miss your weekly dose of the apostles' teaching, your weekly meal and feast on God's word with God's people. You should wake up every Sunday morning with an expectation and coming here that God has something to teach me today. Each Sunday morning, wake up, anticipate it. Something that's going to feed me and feast, that I can feast on the remainder of the week. Second practical thing is to embrace fellowship. Embrace fellowship. I, I brought this up, but we need to pursue it. We need to find it. We need to go after it. We need to make this a priority and continually devote ourselves to it just like this. Sure, the church can have programs. Sure, we offer things like Wednesday night to come to fellowship, and, and we have it here on Sunday mornings, but you can do this outside of it. And that's the best kind of fellowship when you are intentionally finding those people that, whom you love, whom you share interests with, whom both love the Lord, and you can come together and, and share in the walk with Christ. Here's an idea. Here's, here's just a practical thing that you can do. We have a lot of empty nesters. We have a lot of grandparents here. I would encourage you and challenge you that even this week, maybe it's today, maybe it's some point this week, is invite a family with youth over this week and share with them your wisdom and experience. Allow them to ask questions. How did, how did you make it through these teen years? <laughs> There's many of you who, who did it very successfully. Maybe others of you that, that wish you could have a redo and you have some advice on what not to do with your children. And that's helpful things for us with children. 
What a great way of living out like Titus 2 and teaching us younger ones or even, even ones with, who've had kids leave and they're on their last child. What a great way to encourage them and intentionally fellowship and offer and hear and listen and, and suggest ways of, of helping raise these unruly young people we call teenagers. I say it all in love, youth. Come back to youth group tonight. I love you. Yeah. But third here, I need to prioritize the Lord's Day. We need to embrace fellowship, but we also need to challenge you to always break bread. What Sunday every month do we do the Lord's table? The first Sunday, right? Used to be the last Sunday. We did it in the last, for for many years, as long as I was here, um, until about a year and a half ago or so, we decided to move it to the first Sunday, just to show intentionally the priority that this has. It's the first Sunday of the month, and so we want to do this this ordinance that God has given us of breaking bread together. And so I would I would just challenge you to be especially devoted to the first Sunday. Prepare yourself to, for coming to it. You know, just put it on your calendar. Set your smartphone to remind you, Saturday night, I need to prepare myself to come and examine my heart, make sure I'm not at uh, odds with any brother or sister. I need to make that right before I come in the next morning, and we can worship and break bread together. So be especially devoted. Don't miss those. Don't plan uh, uh, vacations on the first Sunday. Don't plan to be out of town, but come and be here that first Sunday. Let's make sure all of our membership is here you know, every, every Sunday, about a third of our members are gone. And so, but the first Sunday, we should be perfect attendance. Here, partaking in this breaking of bread together. And fourth, let's pray particularly. You know the importance of prayer. Pastor Chris, a couple years ago, did a great series on this. And I think we all uh, can share in this sentiment that we all feel like we could do more, Right? I mean, who feels like they've mastered praying and they're praying just enough, exactly the way they're supposed to be? No, but I think all of us are maybe on a different uh, journey or level, but I think all of us have this sentiment that, well, I could be praying more. I hear this often as I've been in, you know, about 92% of your homes uh, this year with uh, our pastoral visits that Chris and I have gone on. And one of the questions that we ask is, what are you praying for? Who's, who, what are you reading in, in the Bible? And I think the consensus almost every single time is, well, I, could, I know I could be praying more. Me too, you know? And, and we're, I'm not demanding uh, perfection. I'm sympathetic to it. I just want to encourage you that you get to. You remember, you get to pray. That God Almighty is listening to us. And all of us could be praying at the same time, and Him and His in, infiniteness, He can hear all of us and delights to hear from all of us. The God of the universe listens to little old us and whatever we have on our heart. And so this week, as you pray particularly, can I just ask you to add our teenagers to your prayers this week? If you want a list of them, email me and I can email you their names. But I just ask you to pray for them. Pray for the world that they live in. Pray for the, the generation that they are coming into. You know? We need to, we need to pray for them. Amidst all your other prayer things, not saying neglect your other prayers, but add a few minutes of prayer each day for our teens, the leaders that uh, pour into them. So as we wrap up here, I want to just remind you of something. The difference between demand and devotion is the one who requires it and the one who desires it. The difference between demand and devotion is the one who requires it and the one who desires it. The law demands perfection. Grace requires devotion. 
and we get to. We get to do these things. This isn't, this isn't something that uh, is, uh, is burdensome for us. As a matter of fact, the outcome when we devote ourselves continually to these four things is that, that we get this sense of awe. You know, are, are you missing that in your life? Are you missing a, a sense of awe, not the spectacular, not the, whoa, wow, you know, and everything is just, you know, a pie in the sky, but just a general feeling that, wow, God, I get to be a part of this. Wow, I am in awe that you would choose sinful old me to be a part of your family, that I get to come in and I get to understand the Bible. I get to be with these people. I get to commemorate the Lord's Supper. I'm not an outsider. I get to pray to you. If you're missing that sense of awe, that sense of gladness in your heart, the sense of sincerity in your heart, if you're missing the praise of God and favor with all people, if the lost aren't being saved around you, then look nowhere else. Look nowhere else, beloved, because it is found in the regular, ordinary, repetitious, week after week, gathering of the saints every Lord's Day together. That's where these things are found. Look nowhere else or you will be disappointed and dissatisfied in what you find. Here it is. This is what God has given us in his kindness and mercy. Right here in the gathering of saints, continually devoted to this. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. No, sometimes messages like this are hard for us to, to realize and or hard for us to, to accept, maybe. As we think about where are we going, what are we doing, what, uh, what maybe need, changes need to happen in our life. And so I pray that you and your kindness would help us to see that, that you by your Holy Spirit would help us to rightly prioritize, not to be proud in it if, we're, if we are devoted to these things, not to be haughty or think highly of ourselves, but to just remember that we get to do these things. And so God, I pray that you by your grace as uh, we leave from here and we step back into all the other demands, all the other things that... Uh, are going to pull for our time and attention, that we would have gospel priorities, that we would have Christ-centered priorities, that we would uh, throw off whatever is, is uh, uh, trying to crowd that out, whatever is trying to throw us off-center. So God, this is, this is why we gather. This is what you've given us to do. This is the, the devoted way of following Christ. We get to come together. So I pray that uh, we, even this morning, would leave with a sense of awe in that. That we would leave with a sense of gladness in heart, a sincerity in heart. As we meet with you and with one another. Thank you, God, for our youth that have served uh, humbly and graciously this morning they've been good learners and and uh, eager to serve this morning so just pray for them this week even as they uh, uh, head back to school as they live in this world are growing up god would you give them the grace grace to be saved and the grace to be sanctified and so god we just collectively pray for them god, they're you know where they are, but they're, they're behind me now. And so, 
God, I just want us, I want us to each pray for them as we see them behind me. And so let's take a moment, just all of us here in the church, just as we see the youth there, just pray silently for them for a minute as you see them behind me.